TNT Audio Publishing presents The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles by T.L. Dawnstar. Written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. Book 1.0 The Universe Cone. Chapter 4. The Quest Begins. Starhole blasted forth through the well-maintained hypergate in orbit around Klaxon 4 as Carl Darkcruiser awoke from a troubled sleep. He rubbed his steely eyes with his rough and grizzled hands and stretched his muscled neck, rotating his roguishly handsome head as he cast off the last few adhesive threads of sleepy space slumber from his body. The ship's autopilot flipped off as the newly crowned most wanted man in the galaxy, Carl, took the controls. Run analysis on likely pursuit trajectories, would you, sweetheart? Mumbled an adorably sleepy Carl. Right away, Captain. Answered the ship's computer in a gruff old Earth Lancashire accent. Somehow, in his disturbed nap time, Carl must have hit the switch altering the computer's default vocal setting from ethnically neutral sex kitten to the significantly less popular miserable stereotype. The star charts that flickered gaspingly into life on the dusty screen in front of him displayed no pursuing craft within two systems of his current location. Carl breathed a sigh of relief. It had been a long road through countless systems to shake the Galactic Council forces that had been tailing him for ages. Not to mention the throng of mercenaries, soldiers of fortune, and bounty hunters, some of them old friends and distant relatives of his, who were looking to cash in on the 500 cubit price on his head and other body parts. Ironic how the bounter has become the bounty, Carl inwardly smirked to himself. But if he was going to find Dank's killer, retrieve the legendary universe cone, and prove his innocence, he didn't have time to sit around all day making grammatically incoherent quips in his brain no matter how misguidedly satisfied he was with them. He reactivated the autopilot, and Starhole settled into a lazy orbit around the planet as Carl struggled out of his chair and headed aft. The man once voted Most Improved 1999 at the Space Pirate Association's annual fundraiser in Sex Rave descended the rusting staircase and into the captain's ready room. Quickly glancing around the lushly carpeted cabin, he removed the purple synth silk pyjamas that he'd found neatly folded in a footlocker behind the boiler on sea deck, which he had immediately donned as soon as the opportunity arose, and kicked off his faux lunar rat fur slippers. Standing as nude as a recently decollared cat or dog, he slowly pulled on his classic Carl Dark Cruiser space pirate outfit that had won him tens of compliments across the galaxy. He had a meticulous way of dressing that had been imparted to him by the fish monks of Yorix. He began, like a crazy maverick, with his black tight tactical tank top, pulling it on over his massive head. Next up, a gunmetal grey combat gilet, featuring six action-ready pouches with holdfast ultra-zips ready to store plas cartridges, pulse grenades, las knives and sweets and fags. Still trouserless, the fearless adventurer slipped his hairy knuckled hands into a pair of forest green fingerless gloves, fashioned from the finest holographic plaster weave money could buy. The freshly gloved hands clipped the handsome darkish blue utility belt around Dark Cruiser's creepily hairless waist. The majority of the contents of the belt had been lost during his brilliant escape from the sex centre, including the tube of Tiny Tonys, which was really annoying because they tended to get him out of most situations very neatly. 
Radskin boots of a sickly purple hue were next on the agenda, and he pulled them on over his bare, cyber-toed feet. Carl was a man who lived by his own rules, and boots before trousers was just one of the many ways he expressed what a rebellious rogue he truly was in his heart of hearts. Fifteen starmans later, when he'd finished wrestling with his stubborn vortex fiber camouflage cargo pants, Carl was ready for action. He dug deep into one of his many, many pockets and retrieved the object he'd been looking for. The bullet that had killed Dank Starhole. He examined the projectile carefully, reading the words Dirk Stankmole over and over and over and over and over to himself. It was a quality bullet, made from the finest Exlor alloy and laced with a potent hardening agent extracted from the rear teats of an elderly Jix beast. As Carl turned over the bullet between his yellowing fingers, he adopted an investigative technique he called DeckThink trademark. The principle was to think in short, clipped sentence fragments to aid deductive reasoning and also sound cool. Quality cartridge, custom job, must have cost a pretty fib or two. Killer had money, no maker's mark. Unusual, would have taken skill and artistry to craft this. Think he'd be proud of it, put his name to it. Shamed of the typo, maybe, or was it meant for someone else? Should reach out to Assassin's Guild contacts, find a hitman still using old school bullets. Won't be easy, not after what I did. Set a course for the Guildhall on Yarrick's. Stop for fuel and eggs on the way. Cancel subscription to Reader's Robots. He derailed his train of thought, realizing at this point he was just cycling through his to-do list, and headed back to the cockpit. He had a serious hunch about the identity of Dank's killer, but for pacing reasons he kept it to himself for now. He set a course for the planet Yarrick's, and began to reminisce about his brief time as a fully paid-up member of the Assassin's Guild. He'd done some things he wasn't proud of back then. Dark things and he was certain he would receive an at-best lukewarm reception upon his arrival on Yarricks. As much as modern-day Carl tried to forget the terrible choices made in the past by past Carl, he could never shake the weight of those choices that he had been forced to make, and they weighed heavily on him, like a big hat. He wished he'd never pushed that button. He wished he'd never unleashed the chaos that followed the pressing of said button, but it was too late. The button had very much been pressed. The assassins had trusted him, befriended him, mentored him, and in the case of their erstwhile leader, Olive Cabinet, had full sexual intercourse with him in an incredible encounter in a zero-gravity chamber. But on that black and lonely Thursday all those cycles ago, he had betrayed them. As the ship's engines span up and prepared for another bounce to uberspace, Carl felt his past hurtling towards him really, really, really quickly. Starhole elegantly ruptured the fabric of space-time with the precision of a sharp pencil puncturing a sheet of taut cling film and materialized behind the fourth moon of Yarricks. Almost instantly, a shrill electronic whine broke forth from the speaker to Carl's right, indicating an incoming transmission. An identified ship, you have entered space operated by the Galactic Guild of Assassins. Please identify yourself and state the name and preferred execution method of your target," said a ridiculously accented lady voice. Carl knew that voice, and he knew the mouth and the face that it was coming out of. Both the voice and the face belonged to the guild's famously incompetent administrator, Spicy Woods. Take it easy, Spicy. I'm just looking for some info. Who is this? I think you know. Planetary defense missiles are locked onto your craft. If you do not identify yourself within 35 seconds, I will open fire. There was only one thing Carl knew he could do in this situation, so he did it. He began to recite 
the oath of the assassin. We dance on the boundless boundaries of the void. We are the deadly sisters who ride the solar winds of doom. We are the people enders, the stoppers of breathing, the omegas of brain function. We move in the night. We stab in the dark. We also stab in the light. And we sometimes do shootings and poisonings as well. Oh, it's you, said Spicy through the speaker. You have begrudging permission to land. Thanks, Spicy. I never believed any of that stuff written about you on the bathroom wall. <laughs> what? He flipped off the communicator unit and assumed manual control of Starhall, gliding the ship's long and pleasingly phallic hull towards the icy blue planet and down into Yarrix's freezing atmosphere. He zoomed past the ancient city of Bonn. Its once thriving trouser markets and child-fighting pits lay covered and buried by the biting ice-cold snow of the planet's sub-zero climate. Yarrix had once stood at the center of an inter-system empire spanning huge tracts of the cosmos, ruled over by the dukes and duchesses of House Suvin. But their thousand-cycle reign came to a violent and messy end after every member of the Suvin dynasty was systematically hunted down and killed by a ragtag band of rebels led by the famous and infamous rabble-rouser Julie Waverider. In the last days of the rebellion, Waverider and a group of local hard bastards unearthed a mysterious alien artifact and sought to use its mysterious alien energy to destroy the last surviving son of House Suvin, once and for all. But they knew not of its true power, and in their quest to seize the throne, they unleashed the Freezening, dooming Yarrix to a millennia of unending and unrelenting winter. Footnote. For more on the events of the Freezening, purchase the double album A Song of the Stars, The Ballad of Planet Yarrix by T.L. Dawnstar, available from Dawnstar Music exclusively through mail order. Critics are raving about A Song of the Stars. Music Star magazine called it an album. Disco 45 says T.L. Dawnstar has a bright career ahead of him as a and the NME could not be reached for comment. As Starhol continued her journey northward, the Assassin's Citadel loomed high over the frozen plains of the planet's once green and verdant expanses, standing as a beacon to all who sought the sweet release of death for someone else. Carl felt an uncomfortable bubble rising in his flat hard tummy area as the monolithic structure grew bigger and larger on the ship's view screen. In the mid-distance, he could see the sphericalish figure of Spicy Woods, awaiting him on the second story of the Citadel's well-appointed parking facilities. With east-facing bays and retractable roof for use in the slightly less than totally freezing Yarrick's summers, it wasn't hard to see why the structure had once claimed the top prize in the system-wide Mirko-sponsored Dock, Bay, Harbour and Detached Terrestrial Parking Structures Annual Awards Contest. Alas, that was many cycles ago, and the assassins had since fallen on harder times, and nothing bore the brunt more than the former gleaming jewel in their crown. The once richly coloured deep purple exterior walls had faded to a depressing pink and the admittedly ill-conceived interior plush velvet carpets had begun to rot. In short, the place looked a right mess. Spicy's tiny hands waved Carl's sentimentally named ship through one of the many suggestively shaped docking boards. Gliding in effortlessly, Carl's spaceship came to an elegant stop and settled down neatly between the hollow line markers indicating an amply sized bay. Pleased with his flawless technique, 
Karl Darkcruiser lowered the gleaming, highly polished smooth metal exit ramp, which had, of course, been fitted with anti-slip matting during its stay in Tizar's illicit workshop. Carl was thankful for the added friction that the hyper-rubber covering provided as he descended the ramp and was greeted by a furious-looking group of tall, silver cat-suited women. Well, 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 said the tallest of the women. You must think you're in possession of some powerful orbs to show your face on Yarix after all these cycles. Footnote. Orbs is assassin slang for bollocks. Orbs is my middle name, sneered Carl. The Kalek lies! I know it to be Rufus! cried a voice from the throng. Carl blinked, a long, slow blink, and by the time the blink was over, he was surrounded by statuesque females holding spears, hollow blades, halberts, and sticks. He gulped as he felt a cold plasteel point pointing against his bulging neck. Take it easy, sisters, he muttered coolly, but not loud enough so that they could hear him. The crowd of silver-clad beauties parted with the kind of smooth and graceful action usually associated with a good quality automated garage door system, and along the thin column created down the center of the amassed women strode the figure of the matriarch of the GGA, the powerful and gorgeous Olive Cabinet. She stood approximately 2.0063 meters tall, with impeccably toned arms, broad commanding shoulders, and long, straight hair, a violent shade of deep aubergine streaked with pressed thistle, bound in a high and tight ponytail. Her one deep brown eye and her other slightly less deep brown eye regarded Carl with a look that was concocted from a heady mix of suspicion, betrayal, and raw animal attraction. It was a look that conveyed the complexity of a well-wrought and emotionally mature backstory, and they both knew it. She approached the space pirate slowly, looking him up and down, before turning to the amassed women at her broad, powerful, and extensively tattooed back. Disarm him, she said in her famously commanding tone, and take him to the Undercroft. With that, she strode away, her hair swinging dangerously from side to side, unceremoniously whacking several of her sisters in the face. The Amazonian figures quickly and efficiently removed his phase blaster, combat hollow knife, and several bags of toffees he'd found stuffed between the seat cushions on his ship. His arms were bound with unbreakable Euraxian twine, and he was led at weapon point, deeper inside the assassin's headquarters. They marched him down a long, surprisingly well-lit corridor, upon the walls of which hung portraits of the assassin's greatest heroes. Above Carl's excellently proportioned head were hollowed images of famous figures such as Susie Lightkicker, Paula Vortex, Elizabeth Fear, and Fifi Garfield. He bowed his head, in respect and reverence, to the esteemed Mothers of the Order, an act that didn't go unnoticed by his captors, one of whom gave him a quick, vaguely kind glance. As they approached the end of the corridor, they came upon a massive gold door bearing scenes of ancient battle worked into its faded surface. One of the guards stepped forth and kicked the base of the entrance cover with a dull thud followed by a small yelping sound. The door swung its enormous heft open and they entered the dark and foreboding The Undercroft. A single figure stood in the center of the murky gloominess. The smooth gleam of her elegant golden single suit was picked out sharply in the darkness by a single high-powered spotlight beaming down through the crumbling stone ceiling. Leave us! Her underlings obeyed, and in an instant, Carl Rufus Darkcruiser was once again alone with Olive Cabinet. Speak then, Darkcruiser. Tell your matriarch why she should spare your miserable life. 
Let's not sit on ceremony, Olive. We've been through too much together for that, replied Carl. Spare me your japes, pirate. I'm in an ill mood of late. Sneered the head of the GGA and the four-time Galactic Ice Wrestling Champion. I'm looking for some information. That's all. The nerve of you, man! Olive erupted as she strode towards him through the all but impenetrable darkness, her ungloved hand raised in the ancient battle pose of her order. You dare come here and speak of information. I know what I did to you and my sisters, Olive. Not a day goes by when I don't regret it. The guilt eats me up inside. I sleep barely 14 hours a night. You are the best of us, Carl, and you... She paused, her words choked back by rapidly forming tears. But she did not weep. This traitor deserved none of her empathy. Carl noticed her restraint, and his already substantial respect for her grew taller and gained a little weight. You shall have nothing from me, Kalik. She lowered her hand and turned her back on the only male to ever serve in the guild. Carl took the opportunity to study the huge and intricately detailed scene of a three-headed dragon with a different kind of knife in each of its jaws and flaming swords clutched in its razor-sharp talons, shooting las beams out of its eyes as the beast spiralled around the myriad branches of a vast ancient tree in a burning forest with a huge bat-like creature battling a horned android with a glowing scythe in the background as the ground around them is ripped asunder by white-hot chunks of burning magma from an erupting volcano that was tattooed on Olive's back. The tattoo was rich with symbolic meaning and secret assassin heraldry, but Dark Cruiser didn't pick up on any of that. He just thought it was absolutely bitchin'. Please, Olive. It's about Dank, he announced flatly. For the briefest of a fleeting moment, her stoic shoulders dropped, and she took a long, deep breath. Cabinet reached into the improbable pocket of her skin-tight, backless single suit and produced a single shiny bullet. My guards retrieved this from that ridiculous belt of yours. My guess is you think it was fired by one of ours. Was it? Why should I tell you? Because that bullet exploded the chest of my best friend and your brother. Dank Starhole stopped being my brother the day he took you from me on some ridiculous crusade into the Vellum Cluster. Two people made that choice, Olive. You shall address me as Matriarch. I'm not an assassin anymore, Olive. No, just a common murderer. Carl's breath promptly left his body, and his mind went into overthink. Could news of his false accusations have reached Yarricks already? The planet was light years away from any viable information exchange center, and the galactic net speeds in the Citadel were a fucking joke. You know I'd never. Silence! Olive screamed. It had come out a lot higher pitch than she intended, somewhat diminishing its potency. You're many things, Carl Darkcruiser, but a killer of friends is not one. I know you did not murder my brother. You foolish, misplaced love for him is evidence enough of that. Then who did? Olive stood with her back to Darkcruiser. Her long ponytail was still in the stillness of the dark chamber. Somewhere deep inside her, she knew she would live to regret the decision she would make today. But somewhere else, not as deep inside her, she knew that she still loved her brother and at least semi-admired the passion of the space pirate bound behind her. If I give you the information you seek, you are never to return to Yarix or contact me or any member of the guild ever again under pain of death. Is that understood? Understood. Matriarch. With a deep sigh, 
Olive grasped the bullet firmly and turned towards Carl. Our records, such as they are after the incident, indicate only a handful of members using projectile weaponry. Two of them, rather crudely, adorned their bullets with the names of their targets. But only one would produce such a horrible misspelling. Her name is Deborah Dwarfstar. She is perhaps better known to you by her cruel, if accurate, nickname, Dyslexic Deborah. Her weapon of choice is a modified Huntex Core 454T sniper rifle. She went dark several solar days ago after performing an unsanctioned contract on Spaceboard 6. Why haven't you gone after it yourselves? An unsanctioned contract is against GGA guidelines. It's literally page one of the employee handbook. I know my code, Dark Cruiser. It is you who have forgotten the oaths you swore to uphold. I've sent my best agents to track her down. None have returned. It appears Deborah has disappeared from the face of the galaxy. Just the way I like my bounties, Carl uttered, unbearably smugly. You have what you came for. Now leave, Kalek, before I change my mind. Thank you, Olive. And if this is truly goodbye forever, I want you to know. He took a seductive step towards her. Her back straightened, and her fists clenched as the roguishly handsome former assassin and one-time ex-lover moved in closer than was probably necessary or comfortable for either of them. I'm truly sorry for what happened, whispered Carl. I know, she replied. I don't mean about the thing that happened in the Zero-G chamber. Uh, that was pretty great. I mean the other thing, you know, the bad one. Yes, I understood, Carl. Because, you know, that, that first thing, that was pretty... Uh... Guards! She screamed. Standing on the ramp of the starship, Carl surveyed the wind-battered edifice of his former home. Say goodbye for good, old man. Just then, one of his former captors walked towards him. Her plasteel spear lowered just enough to indicate her desire to talk rather than stab. Kalek, wait, she called as Carl entered Starhall. He turned his face to face her face. The others say you committed an unspeakable betrayal, but they do not speak of it, which I suppose makes sense. Pray tell... I would hear it from you. Carl sighed a deep, long sigh and massaged the bridge of his powerful yet delicate nose with his big fingers. He looked the young assassin dead in the eyes and sighed again. He recognized her as the guard who had shot him a kind glance a few pages ago, and something in her calm, hopeful, open face compelled him to share his story. When I joined the GGA, I became the first and only man to ever do so. I was treated with suspicion and hostility by the other members at first, but as I completed my training and followed the necessary compliance protocols, I slowly gained their trust. In time, I was assigned the most sacred duty an assassin can undertake. I became the senior data protection and active target database manager. Hells, I was never one to play by the rules, and I took one look at the antiquated system based on a dual server operating platform a primary portal for active targets, and a secondary data hub for closed contracts, and I saw an efficiency adjustment just waiting to be actioned. What did you do? Asked the young assassin at the base of the ramp, her eyes wide with, was that fear? I did what anyone in my position would do, and I regret it to this day. Carl's chest heaved in response to the trembling staccato breath filling his nervous lungs. I instigated a change control to move active and closed contracts onto a single central server and introduced a guild-wide file naming convention 
that listed targets via planet of origin rather than the traditional xeno-alphabetical approach. Wave Rider preservers. The resulting confusion led to an increased number of help desk requests, creating a huge drain on the guild's central processor. There was... Carl bit his fist between his below-galactic-standard health-level teeth and steeled himself for the final crushing revelation. The whole system was unavailable for 48 hours, he said, as his eyes darted away from those of the young woman across from him. She looked up at him with a look of pure, unadulterated hatred. He'd seen that look before, on the faces of his former sisters, and on countless shop clerks, ticket inspectors, and parking attendants across the seven systems. The assassin raised her plasteel spear. My sisters were right not to speak of this, though I thank you for telling me. I ask now that you leave this place, lest my spear point find your Kalex heart, she growled through gritted teeth. Carl slowly turned away and effortlessly slipped inside Starhole. He turned slightly and asked, You and the matriarch, you called me Kalex. What does it mean? It is the ancient Euraxian word for traitor. I, I understand, said Carl sadly. He settled down in the cockpit and plotted a course for as far away from Yarex as possible and wept for a good long while. To be continued. For more on Carl's two-week career as an intergalactic assassin and hitman with a heart of gold, pick up the Young Carl Dark Cruiser Adventures Volume 6, Carl Dark Cruiser, Killer, Lover, Administrative Innovator, available exclusively at Tweed Mill shopping outlets across the UK. The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles is a production of Dawnstar Audio, written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. The voice of Carl Dark Cruiser is T.L. Dawnstar, and Olive Cabinet was played by Ginger Johnson. Get in touch via electronic mail using the address tldawnstar at gmail.com or via Twitter at tl underscore dawnstar. Next chapter, Where's Deborah?